Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is a writer, former entertainment lawyer, and screenwriter. Her stories and interviews have appeared in Santa Monica Review, Jade Journal, Pembroke Magazine, Pank, and elsewhere. She grew up in Los Angeles and currently lives in Northern California. Her debut story collection, Small in Real Life, is out now. Please welcome Kelly Sather. Hey, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. I am so glad your debut story collection, Small in Real Life, came across my mail long ago, it feels like. Um, congratulations on everything. But I'd love to hear about what Small in Real Life, what the collection is about from your perspective. Yes. Um, well, thank you. And the collection really explores the myth and melancholy of Southern California, where I grew up. And the characters in the stories are all striving for their own sort of Hollywood shine. And they're pretty ruthless. And also, though, there's humanity in their yearning. And um, the stories are dark and funny, and they don't let people off the hook for their behavior. But I think there's also compassion for what they're doing to pursue what they're after, too. Definitely. Yeah. Um I like that you said it, it explores a lot of things and doesn't leave them off the hook. I feel like your characters and like your plotting was so strong throughout this collection. Um, what, Thank you. Of course. Yeah. What story, what, what excerpt will you be reading for us today? I thought I would start at the very beginning and read from the first story in the collection that is called The Spaniard. Oh, terrific. Well, take it away and I will be back to ask some questions. Okay, great. The Spaniard. Two days before Jenny's 16th birthday, she got sick at school. They couldn't reach her mother, so they gave her bus fare and sent her home on the RTD. She had chills and her head hurt, but she wasn't throwing up. We don't want those germs around here, the school secretary had said. It wasn't unusual to send a sick kid out the school gates with $1.50 in her pocket. On the bus, Jenny leaned her head against the tinted brown glass Los Angeles, April 1984. Palm trees and cement drifted past her window. She thought about her bed, her comforter with pink roses. She felt its soft quilted cotton press against her cheek. When Jenny got home, her mother's Volvo was parked in the driveway. No one answered the doorbell. She walked around the house through the gate to the backyard. She slid the pot of her mother's white petunias and picked up the key hidden underneath. Though when she tried the back door, she found it unlocked. She walked through the laundry room, down a narrow hall toward the kitchen, where she would get a glass of water on the way to her bedroom. Suddenly, in the middle of the silent house, she heard a girlish twitter, unfamiliar, yet she knew it was her mother's voice. Her mother must be on the phone. But in the kitchen, her mother faced the miniature espresso machine, watching coffee drip into a tiny cup. She wore a wasteless baby doll dress that showed off her tennis legs, pink satin with white laced edges. A dark haired man with glowing olive skin sat at the kitchen table, smoking a cigarette, plate of ashes by his right hand. He nodded at Jenny like she was a fellow patron at the coffee shop looking for a table and cleared his throat. 
a foreigner in a foreign land, Jenny thought. And then, as two streams of gray wisp blew out the man's polished nose, smoking kills. Her mother nearly dropped the little cup on her way to serve it. What are you doing here? She said. I'm sick. Oh. Her mother looked her over. Jenny wondered if she looked sick. She slumped her shoulders forward. This is my friend Federico, her mother said. Jenny turned to the olive-skinned man. Hello, Federico. He bowed his shiny black head toward her. It is a pleasure to meet you. I did not know that Celia's daughter has the same fire eyes. His accent leaned on the C in Celia, so it sounded like Sia. Jenny's eyes were brown like her father's, Celia's hazel. Federico brought the tiny cup to his lips and drank his espresso in one swig. And now, he said, as if he were a magician about to conjure a rabbit from the pocket of his sleek trousers, I must leave you, beautiful ladies. His teeth were pure white. Federico paused in the doorway and raised his hand in a flat palm wave. Then the front door thudded shut. Celia stood flushed and preening in the middle of the yellow-tiled kitchen. Jenny pulled a glass from the cupboard and held its wide mouth under the tap. I want a car for my birthday, or I'm telling Dad. Thank you so much for reading uh, from the first story in your collection. I want to go back to your bio mentions a time in college when you were pre-med at Princeton and you broke a beaker your first semester. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I would love to just hear, I guess a little bit before that, did you, even, even before you went to Princeton, did you think writing and reading were going to be such a part of your, your life? Like growing up, did you think this was going to be any part of your life? Oh, yes, I did. In fact, it was, um, so we're going to start at the very beginning. Let's do um, it. Okay. In elementary school, we're going to go way back. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember doing those, um, they used to have these, um, uh, I guess they were like workbooks called SRAs. And I remember, like I had this distinct memory in third grade, Mrs. Bagley's class at Palisades Elementary, um, turning in this SRA. And I remember it as something that I wrote. And I remember thinking, how much I love to write. And at the time I was, I was always reading. I would go to the walk up to the library, get books. It was sort of like just a regular part of my life. And, um, and so I, though, I think that that was the first time that I thought, oh, I really like to, to write too. And then through high school, I got a little derailed um, because I was the kind of kid that could work really hard um, and do well in math and science even though my passion was to read and write. And so I even submitted something to the, the high school literary journal and I submitted it anonymously because I was still not quite ready to, to be out there that I, this is what I really wanted to do and see what people thought of my work and all that. Um, and so when I started in college, I, um, I was pre-med, which is shocking to me. And, uh, and then I had the big, explosion during the chem final and they finally was like no more no more mm -hmm. science yeah was it just a quick transition to like a writing degree or like yeah what how did that transition uh come about well well, I was taking, I, I think I took an English class that first term too. Mm -hmm. And then the second term, I took another one and I just, I really liked them. Although I had this um, TA, my first term who told me that I couldn't write. 
Mm. <laughs> and that was a shock because I had always sort of thought, well, I could still write English papers and, you know, do well and that sort of thing. And I remember, um, I really remember this woman just telling me, you cannot write. And, um, and then the next term I took another class. Interestingly, there were lots of writers in that class. Um, Nick Palmgarten, who writes for the New Yorker now, and I think Jennifer Weiner was in the class, mm. who's the novelist. So it was a very funny class to have all those elements together. And I did fine in that class. And so it was, it was also this awareness that, oh, like separating out this sense of approval with my writing and just writing and mm -hmm. different people are going to have different opinions. Um, so that was a new awareness. Yeah. And then like you, you eventually become a lawyer, correct? I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes. you're still not in the fiction world at that point, right? You're, you're, I mean, pre-med to lawyer. That's like a, I know, know, a right? parent's dream <laughs> for their child, I guess. Exactly. Um, during your time, I, I mean, because you worked like in, I guess, um, like Hollywood, right? That's the umbrella term for it. You were a lawyer in Hollywood in some way, shape or form. Were you writing fiction? Were you writing screenplays during this time on your own? So what you said about a parent's dream, definitely. I mean, I, just was, <laughs> I was just, I went from like one stop to yeah. the next stop on uh, parental expectations. <laughs> and um, yes. So I, at first I started out working for a law firm and mm. it was as one hears about law firms, I don't know what they're like now, but at the time it was just overwhelming. It was completely mm. overwhelming. And so a friend of mine said, I think you're miserable and there's a job open at Columbia Pictures. I think you should go there. And so I, um, it was just a, a great thing she did. And I started working at Columbia, which was on the studio and they were making movies and I was a production attorney. So I got to work on, um, I got to work with, I just loved it. Like I loved working with location managers on movies and production and, and all of that. And, but then alongside it, I was taking classes at UCLA extension and I was taking short story classes and I was taking screenwriting. Um, and I learned pretty quickly that if I were going to make this transition, I was going to have a harder time earning an income with stories than screenplays. And, um, a producer that I had known when I was at the firm, had a project that he wanted to develop and I wasn't, uh, I was thinking about leaving and he said, do you want to come write this project? And so I did. And that was my first screenplay. Oh, wow. And then you eventually get an MFA from Bennington and you're on this track of, I'm, oh, you tell me about it. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What, where do you, when do you start your MFA? Do you think that a collection is in you at that time or were you, was, were things still up in the air? So I always wanted to get an MFA. Like I had this idea that this was a space as I think we've sorted out. I liked school. Um, mm -hmm. I liked the form of it. I liked like that aspect of, of um, it just, I wanted community too. And so that was, as a lot of people talk about when they get a, an MFA, that was really important to me. And at the time, I had three young kids. And so I was really, I was living in Northern California. So I was sort of pretty separated from um, the writing world at that time. So it was a lot of reasons why it felt like, oh, I can go do this um, and reconnect. And so I started writing stories. Um, I ended up going to Bennington, which was a really good place for me. And um, I found that um, 
I didn't know I was writing a collection. And then I just kept writing stories. And, you know, for, for when you finish the program, you have a thesis of some sort, which mine was a collection of stories. But even then I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to publish these one day. I was just Mm -hmm. thinking like, maybe I can publish one. And I remember um, I submitted to Pank Magazine because a friend of mine had published a story there. And I got this email back from Roxane Gay, who was the publisher. Um, She had started it and was a publisher at the time. And I, and she said, you know, I'd love to publish this. Is it available? And I thought it was like the best feeling. Um, And so I just kind of kept going along that process of submitting stories to journals. And, um, and then after a while, I realized a friend of mine sort of said, I think you have a, like, I think you have a book. And so that's when I started to put them together. Mm. How long ago was that to like now, I, I mean, a lot has happened, but was that how, yeah. How long ago was the MFA? So I finished the MFA in 2015. Okay. Um, and then I didn't really. And so then I sort of went through this process of publishing the stories and writing more stories in journals. And then mm-hmm. I, um, I think I put the stories together about four years ago. Um, and then it was interesting. Once you put the stories together, you can start to feel what, where you want to, I mean, work on them more, like where you want to rewrite a little bit and like what sort of um, still that aspect in a story where you can push it just a little bit further. And so I spent a couple of years doing that. Mm. And then I want to talk about, um, it's coming out of the University of Pittsburgh Press and it is the winner of the Drew Hines Award. Um, Were you submitting to a lot of different like, yeah, what was your submittal process? What were what was like the path of getting this published? So I at first developed this letter that I was going to pitch it to agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew at the same time that collections are hard for agents. You know, it's a hard they want I understand, like the novel is the thing, right? So um, so I put together this letter that I felt like described the collection really well. And then I did nothing for like a year. I just Mm. sort of, I just, I mean, I collected agent names and I thought about it. um, And I just felt like, I don't know. I just had this like indecision. Um, And then I heard about submitting to, I had a couple of friends actually who had published by submitting to contests. And Mm. so there was Iowa and then there's the um, Pittsburgh Press, the Drew Hines. And so I submitted to the Drew Hines and that's kind of was the first step towards, towards it. And I just then got this fantastic news. Yeah. 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 And what has it been like? Yeah. Since that was announced and since like leading up to publication, I guess, what has, has it changed anything in your life other than now you're going to be published? (laughs) Um, there's this great, there's this great line that Anne Lamont talks about, like when you get invited to the banquet, right? Like mm-hmm. when you publish, you get to go to the banquet and mm-hmm. I, I don't even really know what a banquet is, but she uses this idea of the banquet and then you get to the banquet and you're sitting at the table and you think like, oh, this is just the same as regular life. But I have to say it is really special. Um, um, University of Pittsburgh press has been wonderful. And, um, I had heard, um, Disha talk on a podcast called Thresholds 
I think maybe six months before I submitted. And it was really, I remember listening to her conversation with Jordan Kisner and it like really sunk into, like it was one of those moments where you listen to this conversation and it's just very inspiring. And so to hear then that she was the judge on this collection, it felt like there was some magic in that too. Um, And then it's a pretty fast uh, once you hear, then I needed to be quiet for like three months. And so then when I could share it, it had this like delayed sort of like, oh, now I'm excited. Like I was excited and now I'm like extra yeah. excited to share it with people. And then there's a pretty fast pace publication schedule because they yeah. um, give the award every year, which is wonderful that there's a collection of stories that gets this attention um, every year because Drew Hines endowed it, this prize at, um, at the University of Pittsburgh Press. So then, then I was just sort of like, once I was in it, then it was okay, you know, yeah. review the manuscript, like get it together, finish getting it together. It was, it was very fast. Yeah. During that fast paced time, have you been working on new stories on a novel, on a screenplay, or have you been like so focused on this collection? So this very unusual thing happened to me, which is that I had the idea for a novel (laughs) and I thought, oh, I don't know that I have a novel in me because of the aspect of like the space of a novel. Mm -hmm. And I like that um, pace of the stories, but I, but I'm really enjoying working on it. I I had to set it aside just these last couple of weeks because things have kind of gotten busy with the book about to come out. Um, But I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. One thing I want to bring up is like you, you mentioned you, the idea of agents. Um, are you agented? Are you, are you represented for your writing right now? I am not. And, um, I had, I was very fortunate when I was writing screenplays to have, um, two really great agents Mm -hmm. and I had a fantastic manager. Um, and when I started writing again in this way, like Mm -hmm. with stories, I really just wanted to focus on the work because I found that when I was in that other space of like trying to get jobs and, you know, thinking about my work in that way, um, it felt less, uh, or I I felt a little more exposed. Mm -hmm. And so to have this time right now to just really um, focus on the work has been, has been great. That said, you know, I would love to work with somebody and look forward to that because I think, it's fantastic. That can also really strengthen your work working with agents. Yeah. I'll end with this. I didn't warn you before I was going to ask this and I always forget to, but do you have any book recommendations, anything you've been reading that you love? They could be debuts. They could be non-debuts. They could be super old. Anything that's been on your radar? So yes. Um, I just read a collection um, by Christine Sneed and it's called Direct Sunlight. It's a collection of stories that I really recommend and loved. And I found Zadie Smith's novel on beauty in a bookstore. And I don't know why, I I don't know why I haven't read more of her work, but I picked up the book and I was halfway in and I went back and read the acknowledgments, which I always love to read in writer's books. I think you just find out about their experiences and and she references Forster. And so I was in another bookstore and on the staff racks, they had A Room with a View, which I'd never read. And so I started to read A Room with a View and it was really, um, I don't know, I was kind of like, it was a page turner for me, which was really surprising for Forster. Um, and then I finished On Beauty. And um, so I, I really recommend those books too. 
Thank you so much to Kelly Sather for joining the beautiful First Taste Reading Series to read from and discuss her debut story collection, Small in Real Life. You can find her on the internet at kellysather.com and on Instagram at kl underscore sather. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful. Beautiful.